We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism and faith through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to the massively commercially and critically successful uh, MCU blockbuster Black Panther that came out in 2016. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the highly anticipated sequel uh, that comes in the wake uh, not only of the incredible success of the first Black Panther, but also in the shadow of the tragic uh, loss of uh, the star of that film, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, before I get too deep into it, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever and introduce our guest today? Sure. We are thrilled to be joined uh, by a local colleague for our conversation, Reverend Timothy Atkins-Jones. Pastor Tim is the uh, pastor of the historic Bethany Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey, uh, right down the street from us here uh, in South Orange. Uh, And he is a son of the church, having grown up in Richmond, Virginia. uh, What? And his grandfather, uh, Reverend Leroy (laughs) Jones, at, at Pilgrim Journey Baptist Church. He's also an assistant professor of homiletics at Union Theological Seminary. Uh, and uh, we know each other from our work with New Jersey Together and Faith in New Jersey. Uh, and we are excited to have you join the conversation about uh, where faith and Wakanda Forever intersect. Good to have you here, Tim. Oh, it's so good to be here with my brothers. I appreciate you and uh, glad to talk. Thank you so much. So Wakanda Forever, right, picks up. Uh, we know that Ryan Coogler, uh, he shared the script of the movie with Chadwick Boseman, um, and it was his last conversation he had with Chadwick Boseman was giving him the script of the movie. And then when uh, Chadwick Boseman um, tragically passed away uh, of colon cancer, which um, he was diagnosed with uh, after filming Civil War. Uh, so he did not share with uh, anybody close to him, certainly anybody in the MCU, uh, any uh, of the writers or producers or co-stars while he was filming Black Panther or Infinity War Endgame that he was suffering from uh, colon cancer uh, because he believed that he would beat it and he wanted to be this strong presence and strong persona for so many. uh, And he suddenly passed away. uh, And not only did did it leave a a tragic loss uh, in the fictional world, of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but really for so many who looked up to him and who he personified as a Black Panther, uh, as a superhero uh, to so many. And so they reworked the story. The story begins with his younger sister, Shuri, uh, a scientist trying to save him, trying to synthetically recreate uh, the heart-shaped herb, which gives the powers of the Black Panther to try to save him from this illness. I think 
It was beautifully and poetic that he did not die uh, of some attack by some villain. He died of, of an undisclosed illness, uh, just as Chadwick Boseman did. And uh, uh, we find Ramonda, Queen Ramonda, um, mourning him, telling Shuri that uh, T'Challa dies. And uh, the movie begins with his funeral, which is really seen as a celebration of life. Uh, and then picks up a year later. Um, and it picks up a year later where uh, Ramonda has changed course and what T'Challa was willing to do with sharing vibranium with the world and sharing the technology of Wakanda with the world. And she changes course because we see the French and the Americans trying to confiscate that Wakanda to be a world power. They want to have all the power and prevent others from having that power, something for us to really dig into in a bit. Uh, and... Um, as a result, they find, using stolen technology of a 19-year-old genius, Riri Williams, uh, played incredibly by Dominique Williams, uh, I'm sorry, by, by Dominique Thorne, um, uh, the, the MIT student, uh, they find vibranium in the ocean, and we find out that um, the, the Talokan um, from, from the Mayans uh, that are really led by uh, Namor, or or Kukul Khan, as he is called, uh, that he uh, uh, that they have all this power underneath the ocean uh, because of vibranium, and it really causes actually the Wakandans to uh, understand that maybe they are not the chosen people because there was another break off of this meteor. Uh, Wakanda, Wakanda were not the only people to receive vibranium, but vibranium was found elsewhere on earth. And then it's really a conversation of allyship or whether or not they should hang together to protect each other as vulnerable populations where the world's superpowers are trying to get that vibranium. Uh, Namor wants to capture and kill Riri Williams to try to prevent the Americans or anybody else from finding them and finding their vibranium. Uh, Ramonda, uh, Ramonda chooses to save her and protect her. As a result, Ramonda dies when the Talokan attack Wakanda. Uh, and Shuri, in turn, goes to seek vengeance. And we know that because when she finally recreates a synthetic herb, uh, she takes it. And in a beautiful, beautiful, amazing scene, which I don't know when you all saw it, but my whole theater screamed. Uh, but well, she let's, let's just say right here, by the way, <laughs> this is a spoilerific episode. We are going to spoil everything in the movie. Stop right here if you have not seen it forever yet. She sees her cousin, Eric Killmonger, uh, when she goes to the ancestral plane, she does not see her mother, uh, but she sees her her cousin, who also took on the mantle of Black Panther to seek vengeance, um, and also continues Ryan Coogler's streak of only directing movies that have that have uh, Michael B. Jordan appearing <laughs> in them. Uh, and then Newark Zone, on. Newark Zone, Newark yes, Zone. Yes, she goes on to um, take on the mantle of Black Panther. Um, and there's so many um, times when she mirrored her her own brother. Uh, she ends the fight with Namor by saying, "Vengeance has consumed uh, our our peoples. I will not let it consume us anymore." And they basically um, they they call a draw. 
um, and, and they stopped the fighting, and the people of Talokan and the people of Wakanda stopped the fighting as well. The movie also sets up future MCU storylines by having Julia Louis-Dreyfus's uh, uh, Val in the movie with her her purple streak of hair and her fierce personality. Uh, clearly, now <laughs> that she's the CIA director setting up the Thunderbolts and setting up uh, future mischief in the MCU. Uh, and then the movie ends uh, with the mid credit scene introducing us uh, to Nakia uh, having a child with T'Challa um, after Civil War, before Infinity War at some point, raising that child in Haiti uh, so that he does not have to deal with the burden of the throne. And that child is named Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Challa. Really, uh, I was in tears when I saw that. That is a, a way to honor the character of T'Challa uh, without recasting him, uh, which I know that there was a real fierce debate uh, among MCU fans about whether or not you you recast T'Challa because that character means so much to so many people, or whether you honor Chadwick Boseman's life and legacy by not recasting him. And I actually think that post-credit scene or mid-credit scene uh, what was the best compromise that, that could be. Uh, so that is the movie, the, the two hour and 40 minute movie in a nutshell. It was a long movie. It's actually the second longest movie in the MCU, uh, longer than Infinity War, only uh, shorter, uh, only Endgame was longer. Uh, so let's dig in. Tim, what are your thoughts? So many thoughts. Uh, so many thoughts. I th Actually, I'll start where you ended. Uh, and that was I was a admitted recast T'Challa guy. I mean, I'm, I'm a hardcore comic book fan. And so I lamented the stories that would be lost um, because, you know, T'Challa wasn't there, particularly knowing that uh, Namor or Namor, as we learned in this movie, uh, was coming and all of the arcs, no spoilers for the comics for those who want to dig in, uh, but all of the arcs to come and that relationship, I was, I was um, sad about that. But after seeing the movie, it was clear that the actors, the directors, everyone involved with it um, and those that knew Chadwick had to make this movie. They had to grieve through uh, this movie. And even though you could make some plot story reasons, rationale, why you might take, uh, recast, um, it was clear that they had to make this movie. And for them, it was it was really a huge part of their grieving process. There were times in the movie where they were talking about T'Challa uh, and they were talking about kind of grief in, in broad terms. But it's very clear to me uh, that these weren't actors. These were just people talking about their friend and they happened to be in the midst of a movie caught on camera. And so in light of uh, everything that's going on in the world and all the grief uh, that we've all felt and have been going through, I thought it was so amazingly timely. Uh, and uh, it was just a big emotional, emotive experience uh, for everybody. I went to a, a show on opening night and everybody was in white attire. Uh, it was, I mean, it was just an experience. Um, and it's really hard to, for where'd me. You, where to did you see it? Did you see it in Newark? In Newark, yeah, Cityplex. Uh, uh, one of the local uh, yeah. sororities had a, a open and night show. Yeah, I was, awesome. you know, throwing my little uh, my African Theater. white gear. Yeah, Shaq's Theater. And, and it was in Shaq's Theater. So it was in the biggest one there. And it was packed to capacity. Uh, and it was, I mean, the whole thing was such an experience and it was different than the first one, which was also ex an experience. And we were, you know, going open at night and preview shows and all those sorts of things. But I just think because of the emotional weight that was tied to, uh, you know, try everyone trying to grieve Chadwick's um, loss. And I think something that really helped me, too, was in talking about the film, Kugler said that I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he said that um, they contemplated recasting. 
but that for them, their truth was lost. And that was Chadwick as T'Challa. And that because their truth was lost, for any somebody else to come in, even if they were the most incredible actor ever, that it wasn't a matter of skill or even ability. It was really about them and the way that he was, um, just as you said, I mean, he was T'Challa before Black Panther. I mean, Civil War. I mean, to hold, to hold your own in the MCU debut of Spider-Man uh, and to still be a character that shapes the rest of the MCU uh, says a lot about uh, individuals' talent. So I, I understood that. I felt that. And because of young T'Challa, Toussaint. Um, and, I mean, you know, full spoilers, who knows with Kang, you can always age somebody up very quickly with all the time stuff. So we could get us another in-universe T'Challa sooner rather than later. Certainly by Secret Wars, I would suspect yeah. uh, that we would have another one. So I think all those things will be fixed. Uh, but as a movie, it was a cathartic experience, I think, for everybody. Amen. Amen to that. What about you, Mike? Yeah. Um, so I, I uh, um, admit that I was not as invested in the you know debate about uh, uh, recast or not to recast uh, T'Challa. Um, I, I was, uh, at the very least, very squarely in the camp of of uh, you know still not being over Chadwick Boseman's death, and and really from the very first frame of the movie. I was a puddle on the floor. I mean, it was just um, uh, cathartic. I think is a really good word, and I think that uh, that the that Ryan Coogler and and the whole team um, did just about the best with a really um, horrible uh, uh, hand of cards to have been dealt with um, uh, as they as they possibly could have. And you know, they 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 really kind of connected on a really deeply, profoundly emotional way. I mean, uh, Chadwick Boseman's death is just a you know an, an incalculable loss uh for 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 the world you know for for marvel fans for all of us um just a generational talent um and and so such an important um uh figure so um so i i really i loved what they did in in that respect um you know i and i and i think that the you know that the performances uh like tim said that that were turned in uh, in light of um that loss um, were really powerful. Um, you know, uh, Letitia Wright, uh, uh, Angela Bassett, you know. Um, uh, oh, Angela Bassett, if she does not get nominated for a, an Oscar for that performance. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens. I mean, she was. The campaign she, has already started. Yeah, yeah she she was really a, a force in the movie. And, um, you know, she gave them, uh, there was a monologue or two that she gave that was just, that was just so raw. Um, so anyway, I mean, just the, the, you know, the, the performances that were turned in because of it were, were incredible. Uh, at the same time, uh, I also, um, you know, I, uh, I think that, that they, that the way, um, they, you know, will deal with the, the uh, absence of T'Challa one, uh, in the MCU was probably about the best way that they possibly could have, uh, uh, done it. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see where, where that goes next. And, and I will say, I, I had a little bit of, um, I had some conflicted feelings about, um, about Shuri's, uh, taking on of, uh, Black Panther. I, I, I'll, I have a couple of thoughts that are, are different. Which does happen in the comics. Yes. But I, I have no problem with it. Like in terms of Canon, um, I think that, um, and I also, my, my disparate thoughts about it are, um, I loved the, um, the, 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 the presence and the story and the arcs of, uh, of women superheroes in this movie that were, you know, totally independent of reflections on them being women superheroes. So like, mm -hmm. that was great. I have no problem with that. Absolutely. I just think it's hard 
Letitia Wright, to me, um, does not have the same kind of uh, presence, charisma as Chadwick Boseman does. And so I kept on kind of like holding her up in that role. She was a great uh, side character in the first Black Panther movie. Um, and um, it, I, I, it, it, it just, there was a vacuum there that I, that I, that I was like very mindful of whenever she was on screen. Um, so that, that was difficult for me um, as, as good as she is, uh, you know, I, no problem with her as an actress. She's just not, she just doesn't have the same leading, uh, leading uh, actor energy, um, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I struggle with that. Um, the second thing that I struggle with this in this movie wasn't so much the length, because there's a lot of MCU movies that are long, um, but it felt like it was unnecessarily long in, in certain places. Like, I think that the whole arc of uh, I, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is always a welcome presence in my mind, uh, but you could have cut uh, that uh, uh like B story out of the movie entirely and had a perfectly good movie. And the only reason it was present in the movie is to set up future MCU. I know. Right. And, and I know this is, this is your or criticism of the MCU. This is the terrible. perpetual MCU problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I struggled with that. I was like, you know, I, I texted Jesse right after the movie. I said, was the reason it was called Wakanda forever because it was 12 hours long? Uh, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it wouldn't have felt that way. I think if it didn't have, I mean, it it had some kind of like um, uh, pacing inconsistencies that were related to the, the 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 need, I think, to you know kind of move through the cycles of grief. Um, that I was willing to grant it, but there were some like unforced errors in terms of its pacing. I think that were like Marvel, you know, the needs of the Marvel universe and not the needs of the movie itself. Of the particular movie, yeah, I think that's always been a, a struggle with. Um, I guess it's just these two Black Panther movies, but, you know, and Kubler making these movies that I think kind of transcend the traditional bounds of the MCU, yet it still has to sit and be situated. Um, but I mean, Mike, I wanted to come back to your point about uh, Letitia Wright, because I agree, but also I think it for me, it was part of the point. You know, I, I thought that her arc, uh, her sort of being wobbly and holding the mantle of the Black Panther that to me fed the the themes of the story. I mean, even by, by the end when she doesn't show up at Warrior Falls and she's still, you know, kind of trying to figure out what she's going to do and even the mistakes she made as Black Panther and making decisions uh, through vengeance, et cetera. I think it spoke to her sort of inability um, and not quite being ready uh, to bear the burden of the mantle yet doing it, you know, as valiantly as she could considering the situation that she put herself in. And so I thought, you know, seeing her vulnerable that way um, and, and feeling that loss I think just speaks to the movie. That's the, I think for me, the thing that the movie did the best was not allowing us to get away from the grief, right? I mean, we really had to press through it. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't go more than 10 minutes without being reminded of it. I mean, it was just, it was at the center. Um, it was at the center of the movie. I mean, even the, I absolutely agree with you about the stuff with Ross and uh, Valentina, but, um, but even Ross had his, I owe your brother my life, you know, I owe him. I mean, I, even he was uh, sort of grieving. So, uh, but I agree, I agree. There was there was some fluff that could have been cut, but my sense is, is that Kugler probably cut more. It probably was more than he already cut. And that was probably about as, as sure. much as he could leave in. You know, I, as I said to both of you before we started recording, uh, when Kevin Feige 
uh, announced uh, at Comic-Con that this would be the end of phase four. And everyone was mm. like, already what happened? You know, we had more hours of phase four than we did the first three phases combined because of all the Disney Plus shows. But I think everybody was expecting that this phase would end with a giant Avengers-like movie. Uh, and so what was this phase about? I think this phase was partially about introducing new characters to the MCU. But ultimately, in the post-Endgame era, uh, an era in which people lost five years of their life. Uh, so many people lost their lives. This phase was about grief and how we we deal with grief, uh, right? That uh, I would say it begun with a show that was so much about grief in, in WandaVision, WandaVision, where I think the most iconic line of what is grief, if not love persevering. Uh, and this entire movie was about how we wrestle with the stages of grief and how we move on when a key part of our lives, a loved one who's not with us, um, is no longer this world and how we build that world. What I found most interesting was that Shuri's character as a side character in the in, in Wakanda up until this movie, she was science. She was like the Q of, of, of the James Bond world, right? And uh, she was science as the antithesis to religion and faith. And what's fascinating, the movie begins with her praying to Bast, uh, right? This panther god who she doubts, uh, right? And she says, I will believe in you if you help me uh, heal my brother that I, I don't need you and I didn't need you before because I am the scientific genius, but now I'm turning to you because I can't do it without you. And I felt, you know, uh, talking about this uh, as three uh, clergymen, like I, I felt that that really spoke to the struggle of faith that it's not that faith and science or science and religion are, are butt heads with each other. I believe in a world where they actually complement each other so much. But uh, even as somebody uh, who was a scientific genius, she understood that she needed to turn to her faith and her religion and her idea of divine power uh, because uh, she was lost even without that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a movie that I think all of us will be able to use as a kind of teaching example, uh, because you get such a great example of like realized theodicy. I mean, the line that, that hit me towards the beginning when Sherry said, you know, what's the point of having all these gifts, you know, being this smart uh, and not being able to use it to help my brother, which mirrors, I'm sure, you know, we've all had the, you know, why, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, you know, why am I blessed this way, but this person is not blessed that way. And so just wrestling with, you know, the notion of uh, of providence and, and, you know, evil in this world, it was there. And I think there's also the kind of meta layer where uh, Letitia Wright as an actress is someone whose faith is very sort of vocal. She, I mean, she's very sort of out and very uh, loud about her faith. And so to have an actress who is very sort of, you know, loud uh, about her faith playing a character who is much more defined by science, who goes through the journey of having to kind of rediscover her faith uh, by the end, I just thought made it such a layered, uh, layered performance uh, and layered experience, you know, for everybody that was watching. You know, but it's, but it is it does raise I think an interesting question like what what is um what does faith mean I mean what does God mean in a universe in which there are superhumans right mm. um you know and 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 I mean that that's that's brought into like uh the MCU has already kind of introduced this uh in a way with with the Eternals right you have like these effectively gods that function as superheroes the celestials even more right. So. Um, and then, and and in Black Panther, um, you know, uh, Namor's people um, call him 
the serpent god, right? So they consider right. him, he's a mutant, which is uh, the first, I think, movie of mutants in the MCU. Although uh, I, I guess uh, the, the official introduction of mutants is um, was Miss Marvel, even though that's uh, non-comic uh, canon that she's a mutant. But in any case- Or Professor X in a side multiverse. Oh, that's right. Versus... Professor X in- that's and, and, and right. Multiverse that's right. Sadness. That's, true. that's right. True. That was good. Um, um, so anyway, so, you know, so uh, the, the Talokans uh, uh, see Namor as um, as as a god. Right. Um, so are superheroes gods in this universe? Um, uh, it, you know, and and if they are right, like what does that do to theodicy? Right. Of, you know, um, uh, the the role that these superhumans have in solving problems for people or not solving problems for people. Which, by the way, really much plays into the, the to the DC universe, where historically in the comics, that's how uh, the people of Metropolis very much saw Superman. Right. I mean, it's, it's an excellent question. I mean, it's hard to find parallels in our own world. I wonder if we might think of um, privilege, right? Extreme, extreme, extreme privilege of certain resources as obviously not we wouldn't think of it as divinity, but there certainly is a kind of idolic worship of uh, of money, of resources in you know in our society, such that you know billionaires, not to be named, uh, you know, rest in this kind of you know above everyone else, uh, you know, kind of situation. Um, but it, it's difficult. To, I, you know, it, what it made me think of and kind of laugh was I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Love and Thunder. Um, it was for me. It was okay, but you do get that, uh, you know, at, up in the celestial city, you get all the different right. kinds of gods, you know, gathered. Getting Bast actually, you know, was there. Was one of them. Yeah. Uh, and I read as an aside, there was going to be a uh, a carpenter god who looked like the kind of you know popular depictions of Jesus, which would have been, I think, would have been funny. But I can imagine a lot of people have been offended. So it's probably best that they kept that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the MCU is going to have some work to try to 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 rest with that because if there's another theme of this phase, um, it is gods, right? So you get all the stuff in Moon Knight. You get what we just talked about in, in Love and right. Thunder. Um, I think even playing around with the multiverse and, and different, you know, you has speaks to a kind of god level, uh, you know, interaction. So it's it's going to be a continuing. Uh, and then also, I mean, Kang, you know, and the way that he operates in, in Loki and and man, right. my goodness, that trailer for Quantum Mania. I mean, it's it's so it's where we're, I think MCU has always had the problem, um, the kind of power level problem. Like, what are we going to do? We keep escalating, escalating, escalating. You get to Thanos. Thanos is the big bad. Now Thanos is defeated. Now we got to go up another level. So now it's not just a big bad purple guy. <laughs> now it's a, you know, now we're dealing with uh with gods and goddesses and, and universes. So we'll uh we'll see where they go. Uh, but I do think it, it it speaks to um you know sort of amplification of power resources and think of you know all of the the evil in the world, nuclear bombs, etc. So I mean I think there there's some parallels uh, for us to draw on. You know, I'm glad, and I'm glad you brought up resources too, because that to me was also um, a, a theme of both this and the first Black Panther movie. Um, you know, the uh, uh, colonialism is really the the villain in both of these Black Panther movies. I I think in a lot of ways, and the various um, relationships. And they call Ross right. They refer to Ross as the colonizer. Right. They call yeah. right. They refer to Ross as another and, and <laughs> My other favorite uh, colonizer. Um, 
I think if I remember correctly, he's not the only white person in in the first Black Panther that they call a uh, colonizer. Um, no, but they refer to him as as my favorite colonizer. My favorite colonizer in this the, movie, the the operative that helps them. Yeah, <clears throat> you know that's so. And um, uh, the you know Namor telling the story of the uh, his story and the Tolokan story um, is is you know very deliberately. Um, a, a play off of uh, the colonial exploitation of of the New World, right? The story begins with the you know introduction of uh, of, of smallpox um, and the genocide of uh, Native peoples uh, that was perpetrated by um, the Spanish uh, uh, colonizers uh, in the in the 16th century and and beyond. Um, and uh, uh, you know, so which was also similar to uh to Killmonger's arc in the first uh Black Panther right this this uh argument that um you know the the the, the appropriate response to um a world in which uh, you, uh, uh there's a there's a class of people that is seeking dominance and exploitation by any means necessary to uh to to uh to conquer and plunder um is to beat them at their own game and and defeat them um and um you had that also play out in this in, in Wakanda forever too that uh that you know that the um uh that the Wakandan approach you know the approach that was advanced by Tatal in the first Black Panther movie and um and uh and, and to a certain extent by Shuri but also uh by Ramonda uh in in this Black Panther movie is um is to um in some ways uh, uh defend the white supremacist status quo uh in in a way like to 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 push back against the anti-colonialist uh violence of uh of of a killmonger or uh namor um and to um and to you know protect the quote-unquote innocent life that's that's out there I'm, I'm wondering i don't know what if you guys had thoughts about that because i i remember watching in this one it was the same thing i felt about the first one is like it's like I, I was just sad to see like uh Killmonger's uh uh forces and uh T'Challa's forces fighting each other in the first one. I was sad to watch the Talokans and the Wakandans fighting each other in this one too. Like they felt like these people shouldn't be fighting each other. Yeah, I mean I, I absolutely agree with the 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 problems of you know the sort of problematic stance of, of Wakanda. And I think you know what we see in this movie is uh, the result of the kind of pain and the I told you so, right? So T'Challa's opening up to the world at the end of the first movie uh, has resulted in, I mean, in that, I mean, if there's going to be an Oscar clip, it's got to be uh, Ramona talking about, you know, what she lost in her uh, repartee with Okoye. Uh, but in saying that was essentially the result of us opening up in the, to the world has been uh, my husband dying, now my son dying. I mean, all of this stuff has been a result of that. So I actually think that that the vengeance that Shuri feels is the kind of overcorrection to the um, let's open up to the world. Let's, like you said, let's sort of uh, help establish and remain the status quo. I think I've heard it put this way, and I agree that I let, that people will leave the first Black Panther saying Killmonger was kind of right. Uh, but not, you know, but it was a little off. But you watch this and say Namor was, I mean, it's hard to argue, you know, it's hard to argue with his logic. So I think part of what's being set up there, too, is uh, I think that, the, again, I leave confused and frustrated with the leadership. And I suspect 
that um, particularly if there's some model system stuff that happens in the comics, I suspect that there will be conversations in future uh, installments about Wakanda, about both their sort of foreign policy, but even the ways that they're run. So part of me feels like that kind of confusion was intentional. And they wanted to demonstrate it as not the example, but as the problem, uh, because that problem will certainly exist. You know I, mean? I think if you look at the the big, you know, the huge difference obviously between, you know, Talakan and, and Wakanda in terms of when they got their resources, you know, Wakanda got there so long ago and were able to shield themselves from colonizing, you know, Talakan, you know, on the other hand, so that's escaped and were away and, and kind of never had to, you know, never had to confront it. Um, so, you know, differing, differing mindsets, but I, I, I would agree that there's some problems with the way that uh, Wakanda has been handling things thus far. And I think it will set up uh, right either in the Thunderbolts movie or or a Black Panther three, uh, some sort of the world or at least the American government uh, versus Wakanda or, or versus Wakanda and Talakan, right? They're trying to get vibranium at, at all costs. I think what is challenging is um, seeing such a commentary on world powers, which really seeing such a commentary on America. Uh, yeah. As Americans, right? That that's how do we grapple with, um, uh, in some ways, the the some of the privilege that we have as Americans, and I use that word lightly, uh, but in response to the way America treats so many other um, uh, nations of the world, um, while well, understanding that uh, being a foreign power means that you are oft, often taking advantage of other vulnerable populations. Yeah, I mean, and is it the result then of of colonizing? You sort of set up this fighting over resources, and so while it was sad, obviously, to see these two amazing cultures fight each other, um, following the logic of colonization, it makes sense, right? To to kind of battle against each other as a kind of fighting for scraps at the table, and so to me. Though I would uh, point to all of the loss that happened on both sides. So that shouldn't have happened. It wasn't necessary. At the end, to see these two nations sort of come together and recognizing the solidarity that they can find in the ways that they can stand up against those colonial powers. To me, that was second to what we see with T'Challa II, the kind of most triumphant moment, you know, that, you know, vengeance being overtaken. But more than that, uh, a kind of recognition of the shared colonial status and the, a kind of newfound shared anti-colonial uh, posture. Because I do think that after this, um, Wakanda's posture is going to be different. Um, I, I, you, I mean, again, I don't lean too much heavily into the comics, but I mean, you see what happens. You, you clearly had people who said we never should have opened up, never should have opened up to the world. Uh, this shouldn't have been the case. And this is what happened. So, you know, th there will be no question. There'll be sex within Wakanda that we never should have done that. And they'll go the extreme. You know, we should close back off completely. And then everything in between, just like we see, um, just like we see in our world. So uh, there's a lot of political intrigue that's being set up in uh, Wakanda. And I hope they get to explore in uh, in the near future. And I, I think there is power, right, in the allyship of Talukan and Wakanda. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, it's actually a beautiful moment when you see Namor. Um, uh, treat uh, Shuri as, as his guest um, uh, and, and being vulnerable with her. Um, and it shows how vulnerable they each feel uh, about uh, needing to protect themselves and their people um, 
as strong as they are. And we saw how strong Atalu Kamwar with their sirens who were getting CIA Ooh. operatives to just jump overboard. Um, and, and we saw how powerful Wakanda is with, with their force fields, uh, even against uh, Thanos and, and his army. Um, but uh, I think what was hard for me is both with Killmonger and with Namor is that they were sort of s- suggesting allyship for the f- sake of offensively attacking others, where I, I think that there is power in allyship for the sake of when others try to turn towards you, uh, they won't succeed because uh, right, we are stronger together uh, than we are separate and apart. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, and I think there there's such a spectrum, you know, I think that allyship, like you said, for the sake of taking over, I think we would all agree is is a you know is a bridge too far, but I think there is a line though between um, allyship for the sake of joint survival uh, and allyship for the sake of reconciliation, and so I think that's where that's where I think the message and you see what happens with the what kind of gets a little murky because you you could argue based on the results of what we've seen thus far. That it's one thing for Wakanda to sort of be present and to you know to to, to ally with Talakan, but there's really no incentive to join to help grow, uh, you know the the rest of the world. I mean, there's been mostly problems that have come their way uh, because of that, um, and so you know, and I think in our in our world, you know, there are. Uh, many, I mean, there's some, you know, sort of blatantly obvious in, in recent uh, recent weeks, uh, groups that have felt and both know they're sort of they both know their own uh, versions of oppression uh, that are sometimes goaded into uh, fighting each other instead of uh, working together. You know, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it's a, a bit of a third rail issue, but not to you know get into some of the things that's been going on. But I mean, I think anybody that would have one think that you know, uh, anti-Semitism and racism weren't, you know, that they, those two things weren't allies in sort of joint moves of white supremacy, you know, would have sort of completely missed the point. Um, And so to that end, to see these two oppressed groups, even with their own power, ultimately end up saying, hey, we're better together. We can find, you know, some common calls strictly for survival if nothing else, uh, I think offers a, a bit of a roadmap and kind of a bit of a hope moving forward. And yeah, isn't it I the don't... success of the colonizer, right? When they see uh, the, the communities of color uh, preaching anti-Semitism and Jewish communities uh, spewing racist tropes, uh, right? That That's just a win for We've those won. same right. rights, exactly. white supremacists. That's, that's right. So I, and I don't think it's a third real issue at all. I mean, I, I, um, I, that, that, I think that's a, a, a a, a perfect analogy to draw. I, you know, I walked out of the theater um, and I turned to uh, my wife, who I went to see with. I said, "So this is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You have like mm-hmm. you, have, you have two peoples that are that are um, the the uh, victims of, uh, of 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 uh, oppression and forces of uh, of colonialism that have uh, turned to animosity toward one another. And you know, and like what if what." <laughs> What what a, what a victory for uh, for uh, people who like couldn't care less about the well being of either of those two groups, right? So um, exactly, yeah. Exactly. So I'm I, when, as, as we're talking about this, like I keep on coming back to uh, something that uh, T'Challa says in a, it must have been the mid credits uh, scene after the first Black Panther movie where he says, you know, uh, in um, 
in in troubled time i'm gonna this more of a paraphrase but uh, in troubled times the foolish build walls and the wise build bridges right um obviously in that moment it was it was both important in the context of the movie and also comment on the rise of Trumpism, which uh, really, mm. you know, had, had just taken hold um, or around the time the movie was made. Um, but like that to me is the is the message that is, you know, the theme that we're still exploring here is um, the, you know, the, the, the wisdom of building walls versus bridges. So I'm wondering, but for my rabbi and my minister here, um, if you were to talk, <laughs> if you were to like grab the whole of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by the lapels, right? And and say, you know, verily I say unto thee, right? This is the message that faith would give. Like, this is like this is what you should be doing, people of Talokan and people of Wakanda and people of America, right? Uh, uh, thinking about this, uh, even from the Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? The, the world that exists at post-snap and, you know, uh, the uh, Captain, the new Captain America, you know, being the defending Americans' interests versus the the villain of that movie being, you know, people who are trying to preserve a world order that had been, you know, reshuffled because of the because of the snap. You know, there, there's a there's a certain justice to that, right? The best villains, I feel like, in the MCU are the ones who say, like, these guys have a point, right? So, right. so okay. Maya so, Kugler, by the way, is responsible for two of them thus far, right? Yeah. Yeah. The best so ones, yeah. So, so what's what's the what's what's the Torah here? What's the what's the gospel mm-hmm. here? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, two weeks ago, Mike, we, we were texting and you're like, why aren't you responding to my text? I was like, sorry, dealing with something uh, because there were, the FBI released that there was this credible domestic terrorist threat to New Jersey synagogues, uh, which led to our police chief telling us that we need to, uh, you know, close down our building, evacuate our building and, and close our building for 24 hours. Uh, so there could be a police presence uh, sweeping the building and, and and until the FBI found uh, the, the the threat and uh, we are constantly um, grappling with being a, a welcoming and an inclusive and warm faith community to anybody who walks through our doors and being a safe and secure community for anybody who wants to worship with us, right? I I, I think about um, Reverend Pinkney uh, of uh, Mother Manual who invited a a a white nationalist terrorist. To Bible study when he walked towards right, but he said, "Sit down right. next to me and study Bible with me." And that man ended up murdering him. Um, and, and it's it's a real balance between uh, building bridges to create a warm, welcoming community and um, building walls to keep our communities safe. Uh, and that that tension was really amplified for us over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think, though, the more we build bridges the less need there will be for us to have to build walls because those who build walls, it's because they haven't done a successful job of building bridges, right? Going back to what we talked about, the dynamic between Talokan and Wakanda, the dynamic and allyship between all communities, the more you build bridges and feel a sense of allyship, uh, the more one, I would say, people are, are, are stand up in allyship for each other uh, in times of need. But also I think the more we feel less afraid and and less of a need to have to build these walls and and turn our, our uh, houses of worship or our communities and institutions into fortresses of solitude. I agree, and I, I think that I, to to add to that, I would say I think if there's if there's an overall lesson to MCU, it is um, to be to be regularly prepared for the inevitable by thoughtful allyship. I mean, I, I think that 
um, not to get too meta, but I mean, if you're looking over the course of all these phases, there's always a big bad coming. There's always a bad guy. There's always a Thanos on the way um, or some dark elves or something. Sometimes a grand scheme, sometimes a smaller scheme. But I'm everybody is always back to Thor the Dark World. I appreciate it, that. Underrated movie. We'll come back to that. Um, but I think that um, what we've seen, the biggest problems, I think, exist when someone is moving out there by themselves. You know, So Tony creates Ultron because he's moving essentially by himself because a threat that he's afraid of is coming. Uh, even the forming of the Avengers in the first place. Movies um, Black Wakanda Forever, I think, is a, a beautiful example of what this can look like. Even with uh, Scarlet Witch and WandaVision and on and on and on, we see when people move off by themselves um, and try to face dangers that are beyond their individual powers, um, we, there are uh, residual effects and collateral damage, you know, beyond what had to be. And so a kind of thoughtful bridge building, a kind of filling up of the gap, right, along the way, um, I think uh, prepares us for the inevitable, right, the, the inevitable, uh, you know, bad guys coming. My grandfather, who was the pastor, used to always say that you're either in a storm just out of one or, you know, just on the precipice of one, right? There's always a storm a storm coming. Uh, and so you have to, you know, have to be ready for it. And I think the more work that is put into that, I mean, what, what would have happened, uh, you know, this is just a hypothetical theater, if there had been sort of emissaries from Talakan to Wakanda before, you know, they were knocking at the door, right? And they were able to build relationships before, right? And they were, uh, you know, able to sort of thoughtfully put together and to work through all of the ups and downs and find the shared culture. And, you know, I mean, I thought the, one of the things I thought this movie did so well was to mirror their cultures. Um, you know, you get to see the special, uh, yeah, I mean, this is recorded, but you get to see the uh, hand gestures of, of welcome and representation, the kids playing. Um, there were so many beats of what we know about Wakanda and what we learned about Talakan at the same, you know, at the same time. And so, you know, finding those, you know, places of similarity in preparation, you know, and maybe that's, maybe that's a word too about what can sometimes be um, surface or somewhat empty uh, allyship or relationship building. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that this is, you know, the building of power and building of solidarity is not only for the sake of relationships. I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's always great to have more friends and fellowship and hang out. But ultimately, you know, there's a kind of people power in building relationships that's necessary, um, particularly for those uh, that know all of the various forms of oppression that exist in this world. So the more that oppressed people can get together, uh, the more that the powers that be uh, are afraid. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm into that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Really, really appreciate that. Um, um, so in, in the... Uh, in, in in the spirit of togetherness, I want to raise a couple of very divisive <laughs> questions. Um, <laughs> let's start with number one. Uh, is it Namor or Namor? I loved. I love that they did that. Well, I love that it's Namor, but I he said, right, uh, uh, my people call me Kukul Khan. Others call me Namor. And I think that that also speaks to the um, uh, that the. Uh, Englishization or, or or butchering uh -huh. of other people's names, right? It was the way that like Americans are mispronouncing uh, a a Spanish name, um, or um, 
you know, Key and Peel had this whole routine where with a substitute teacher who was Aaron. Aaron is the best, right? <laughs> but 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 it's uh but I, I think that that's really what it's about. And Victoria Alonso spoke at the premiere um about how when they want to go the route of, of turning Talukan into Mayans rather than being people of Atlantis. Um, although it's essentially the, the same and really want to focus on the Mayan culture and the indigenous culture uh, to give uh, him the name of, of Nino uh, Sin Amor, Namor, uh, what, what was just a beautiful play on words to make sense of the name Namor. When I heard it, I said, whoever whoever thought of that needs a raise. I mean, I, I thought it was a, big a, a, a beautiful recontextualization of, of Namor, which is actually just Roman backwards. So this has a lot more depth. Uh, it drew, I, and I could see it coming uh, once he said, once he mentioned the Spanish priests, and I could just, I was like, oh, it's, uh, uh, oh, this is, this is beautiful. So it's, it's not more for me from, from with a, a complete roll of the R and everything from now on, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's funny because I heard that, and I, you know, I, um, I, I was pretty certain that that wasn't canon, uh, and, uh, and I was like. Yeah, I, I I like that 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 the person deserves a raise. I was like that that might be like too clever by half. Like uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was like it was a good like nice try. Like you had to get that in there somewhere because like how else does the name come in this you know Mayan context? But it was just like a little bit of a stretch to me. But I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Um, okay, let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, explain to me the uh, the flight physics of uh namor's uh, ankle wings i i think i i love they embrace i mean this is the difference between like the fox x-men universe where they were like oh no we have to make all the x-men wear like these sleek tight black leather outfits and they can't look like the comics that's what he did in the comics and like we're embracing it he's gonna wear green boxer briefs and he's gonna have pointy ears. <laughs> and he's gonna have these these winged ankles. And the best part is, even though Shuri cut off one of his wings, they regrow. So he, he come on he, back. He's wearing, you know, he 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 wrapped his ankle, but it's gonna grow back. The physics make no sense. It, it seemed to me that he was so top heavy, it, he should have flown upside down. He has otherworldly core strength that allows right, him to right, balance he's a mutant man he, he's a mutant mike you, you don't need to uh make sense of it yeah fair enough <laughs> fair enough and and i and i do appreciate that and you know setting up you know, the themes to me of the of the x-men universe is the um mm. is the uh you know villainization of otherness right of uh, of mm. difference um and that you know introducing that in Namor's character in this way, um, which you didn't exactly get, at least not yet, in Miss Marvel and in, in that aspect of introducing the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the mutants. But that theme, I think, was really present in, you know, the ways in which, you know, um, the sort of uh, a colonial mindset of what ought to be normal, right? And then mm -hmm. seeing something that so defies their expectation of what should be um is is i think a great kind of setup for for that theme yeah absolutely um right we see it in miss marvel a little bit not otherness as a mutant or superhero but otherness in the way the u.s government treated uh right her her muslim community or her pakistani immigrant community um but certainly not the otherness of the mutants but that certainly plays out in the comics and will play out in the mcu when they're introduced further 
Another MCU uh, property where colonialism is really the villain uh, because uh, the, it, it, it creates the, the friction uh, between, um, uh, uh, now I can't even remember the name of the antagonists in, in that show, right? But the people who are coming after- uh, um, The clandestines. Uh, the bangle. What? The clandestines. The clandestines, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one last question about the beginning of the movie and just wondering your, your faith perspectives took my son to see it, uh, the, the second time I saw it, because I have a rule. I have to see it for myself first. So my kids don't interrupt me when I'm watching the movie. Um, <laughs> and he couldn't understand why, uh, the people of Wakanda were dancing and celebrating during the mm. funeral processional. He's like, why are they mm. so happy that T'Challa is dead? Uh, and, and I found it really interesting also how we talk about death um, and how, mm -hmm. how we introduce the idea of grieving and grief and funerals and how different faith communities and different ethnicities uh, talk about mourning versus celebration of life. Uh, and this really was as much as there were tears, uh, sure. noticeable uh, grief on screen, uh, they really treated it as a celebration of life. Absolutely. Which, which, Absolutely, it follows, you know, African uh, cosmologies and sensibilities in terms of what you know what happens at death. I mean, I, I thought honestly one of the the biggest challenges they were going to face was, as has been said multiple times, you know, that in our culture, it's, it, paraphrasing what they say about Wakanda, in our culture, death is not the end. And so, because of that, I thought one of the hardest things we're going to have to do is we're, we're going to talk about the afterlife, but we can't have you know Chadwick. So, what are we going to do? So, I think they handled that well with. Um, in Jataka, as we uh, as we noted, but yeah, I mean, I I thought the funeral. I, that's one of the places I wish I could have taken. You know, ten less minutes of Valentina and give me five or ten more minutes of that funeral. I and mean, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. It was shot beautifully. The I I have to I keep watching on a loop the um, the slow motion of the dancers uh when they were dancing and kind of kicking their legs up and i, I just thought it was it was absolutely beautiful and, and yeah i mean i think for 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 many of us we we think about death as a time of celebration certainly not as your sunset of you know we're not celebrating that someone is gone so much as celebrating that you know pain and struggle and things they were going through here is no more um celebrating that they've sort of found you know uh a different way of being that um and and also taking a, a moment to be grateful for the time that we did have to share, right? A kind of beginning of the grief process, a process of reorienting, you know, what we're feeling. And so I, I think that I've, I think for me, uh, pastorally, I've come a long way as it pertains to uh, grief, grieving funerals. I mean, I can remember the first time I was, uh, I was a youth pastor and I, all I had to do before a funeral was read scripture. And I didn't know the people, I didn't know the family at all, but I was in the back and like I had lost my grandmother just because like the heaviness of death and all of that meant was I was so new, uh, new to ministry. But uh, over the years, we've really come to recognize that tension so that it's OK to both laugh, dance, have a good time and cry at the same time. It's not it doesn't make one or the other disingenuous. Uh, it's all part of the process. You know, I, I mean, I love the. Uh, the verse in Proverbs that says it's better to be in the house of mourning than it is to be in the house of myrrh. And that's another, I think that's something I wouldn't have understood or even resonated with years ago. Uh, but as I've lived more and lost more, uh, so understand that, like, let's move through this instead of. So I think what they did wonderfully in that scene was not to make it as if this dance, the celebration, this joy 
was a kind of um, lack of acknowledgement of the pain. Instead, that this joy, the celebration is our way of pushing through, dealing with, uh, and beginning this grieving process. And this is, I mean, as we all know, you know, grief is not linear. You know, you go back and forth and good days and bad days and smiling memories, tearful memories. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I thought that was beautifully done. And and I think that, you know, going back to one of the first parts of this conversation, um, you, they they showed that, you know, non-linear nature of grief throughout the movie that, that they kept on kind of getting, you know, it's like pulled back, the current's pulling us back into different stages of the, of the grief, right? There's 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 anger and there's bargaining and there's uh and and there's uh um denial and there's acceptance and there's uh and and there's pain so um uh, all of those things kind of you know cycle through in in the movie right and so that that initial scene is maybe a little bit deceptive because they do there is an arc there from from you know pain to so to gratitude to you know to to uh to some kind of you know um uh, acknowledgement um but it but but that's only part of the journey right and the journey keeps on going back and forth uh between those between those poles absolutely well you know the the, the psalmist says we may cry ourselves to sleep at night but joy comes again in the morning uh that's so it. uh uh that that is a preview of what phase five shall be i guess uh, <laughs> I hope. I we'll hope see. we'll see though. There's some there's some stuff coming. I'm, I am. Uh, I think it is swinging in the in the right direction. I'm I'm ex I'm excited about what's coming, um, in the the next these next couple of phases. Was was swinging in the right direction an allusion to Spider Man? <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Well, he'll he'll be back on a a, a, a local you know street level uh, soon. I think, and uh, you know, and you know, I think it's interesting. I think Phase Four. Absolutely, introductions. Absolutely, absolutely, grief. But I think it also was a a kind of d uh, uh, or, or pushing back against a largely sans white uh, sans Black Panther, uh, a largely almost you know completely white superhero landscape. And so you know a lot of the, not just superhero but male as well. I mean, we saw mm -hmm. the issues that Captain Marvel had. So we've we've got a lot more uh, women involved, a lot more people of color, different faiths. I mean, we've 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 expanded. And while that always in uh, nerd culture is met with these kind of accusations of wokeness and, you know, all of the other pejoratives that are used. Uh, but I mean, I just think it has become more real and it's become more reflective of um, reflective of who the world is. And so to that end, I'm very excited. And to have, you know, we, we've done some, uh, we have some upcoming uh, race swaps in in uh, the sort of opposite ways. So with uh, uh, Yaya being, being uh, cast as Wonder Man, uh, with Kang being, um, you know, Kang being uh, Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, you know, so I'm, I'm excited. So, you know, I got to say, like, for my son, uh, you know, he has some superheroes he can dress up like. They're, they're, you know, he, the options were, were slim. And in my, you know, uh, waning uh, desires to act in a superhero movie, at least there are a few more characters. I'm getting a little older. I'm going to be uh, old enough to play... Uh, uh, the other uh, Captain Marvel in uh, 
in a, in a little bit, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> you know, you know, you asked earlier, Mike, uh, what, what is the role of God in a world? That was a point, by the way, Kevin Feige, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> always, always, we need to recast Luke Cage. I'm already ready for that one. So whatever. <laughs> right, uh, what, what, what is the role of God in, in, in a world of superheroes? Uh, if we're taught that we are all made uh, in God's divine image, then I think there is power to, to the more, uh, superheroes, uh, can look like, uh, more of humanity uh, that then more people see themselves uh, as uh, divine uh, and divinely in- inspired, right? I-, I love the 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 image of more people being able to have more superheroes to dress up as and, and look like uh, for more superheroes to look like them. I'm into that. Amen. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, there's a, there's a way in which uh, these movies are fantasies. So first of all, like we should aspire to have fantasies that are reflective of all uh, of all of all humanity. But also, the fantasies are rooted in our our yearning to uh, to to be you know, to transcend our our limitations. And of course, one of our limitations is our you know inability to see beyond our 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 own you know kind of categories and experience. So um, so part of those part of the the the, the those fantasies on film should be reflective of yes let let's try to transcend um and um and uh celebrate the totality of of our humanity and and build bridges and not walls amen well believe it or not this is not the actual end of phase four the epilogue the uh guardians of the galaxy holiday special comes oh, our way yeah. in just a couple of weeks and because in a couple of weeks we we, we end thanksgiving and the so-called uh winter holiday season uh so happy thanksgiving uh to both of you and you. tim pastor tim thank you for joining us joining the conversation oh, we look forward for having uh, to, to having you back and uh sharing your gospel with, with, with us and your pop tour with, with, with us uh again soon uh and until next time uh, i am rabbi jesse olitsky and i'm rabbi michael knopf Take care, everyone.